Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Gara. School is over and summer is here. Yeah, that's like a little thing in this business that I've kind of learned over the years. This is like my, my fifth season of doing this, I think. Um, the Sunday after the draft always kind of feels like that for us in our business. Until media days, it's kind of like this is our this is our summer. And that's not to say that we we flipped the switch and we're all of a sudden like not working. Not the case whatsoever. We have a lot of stuff that we're going to be cranking out in the next two and a half months. But I always have that moment after the draft. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you had it too where you're like, oh, crap. There's like nothing for a little while. And it's kind of like summer. So I, this is like, I'm coming up on my the end of my first full year since like last year I was still, you know, we're doing this and, and I was bartending and stuff like that. And so when Sunday hit, I was still trying to do a bunch of work. I didn't know this was, <laughs> this was summer for us. So I was like, all right, well keep at it, you know, up until media days and there's nothing going on at all. So it's like, I basically I showed up to school on Monday when summer started. I didn't really, but like, didn't I just twiddled my thumbs the whole time? I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, I went to a resort with my wife. and yeah. we Spent all day there, and it was great. I went on went on a slide a few times. Um, got to lay out and live the good life because that's what you do when school's out for summer. But dude, I, well, I also didn't realize that the last it would also it's like a perfect analogy, like you said, because it is like finals because it took that's seven hours on Saturday. Oh, it's of long. Just watching the draft. It's long. Allie was not pleased. <laughs> yeah, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of the draft. It's fun. It's exciting. And and we love this job. And, like, to be honest, like, a couple weeks are going to pass and we're going to be like, oh, I want things to start up again. Trust me. Don't get me wrong. But that that part at the end of the draft where if you if you watch it, you know, where you just get to round six and you're like, oh, man, there's still so much of this left. All I remember was just waiting for SEC players being drafted, and everything Trey Wingo said was like that in-between round of Jeopardy. He's like, so it says here you love to crochet, and you put together a puzzle in fourth grade. Like, stuff I don't care about, like all these other draft picks. And then every commercial break was the same same commercial. Get used to a lot of the commercials watching the draft, that's for sure. We have a lot of draft talk to get to today. We have We're going to put a bow on all this stuff. We're also going to spin it forward to next year because... Don't you know it? The early mocks are out. We've got a seven-round mock draft for 2020. <laughs> Somebody tweeted that us. Yeah. How in the world do you do a seven-round mock draft a year? Think about how much effort you're putting into being wrong. Like, think of, think about that. Oh, man. It might mean too much for you. Um, but we are going to get to that as well. We've got some talk about Dabo's new contract at Clemson. And we're going to talk a little bit. I know you. This this is an awkward subject for you, but we are going to talk about Make some way too early predictions, because that's the subject of the episode, kind of, or at least the end of it, of who's going to replace Nick Saban at Alabama now that Dabo is apparently locked in uh, for good at Clemson, or at least for the next decade. But let's start with the draft, because, sorry, Dan Cannell, it worked out pretty well for the SEC. SEC has 64 players drafted. By the way, that is a record for any given conference in the NFL draft. And if you take away Bama's 10, the SEC still actually won by... 14. Um, here's here's my favorite part. If you take away Bama, Georgia, Florida, and LSU, so basically the SEC's top 10 teams, then another, another conference could win. Then the Big Ten could win. So right. you could do all that, but why would you? That, I mean, I think that was one of my favorite parts was, so Danny Cannell is a genius at trolling, obviously, and we'll get to more about him later, but he did say something about how yeah, well, you know, like we're we're ahead now. We know you're all gonna just you know backload at the end of the draft. And I was like, hold on, are you already preparing the fact that you know 
the SEC is going to have the most at the end of the draft. Because there was a time on Thursday night, I was worried they weren't going to have the most first-rounders. And that would have been a kind of a pretty big shock, considering some of the guys that hadn't come off the board. And then as the weekend went on, it looked worse and worse and worse for the ACC. Um, but we had several people tweet at us about how Bama is the only team in the SEC. That's why the numbers are inflated. It was like, <laughs> so I'm glad you brought that up. Because even yeah. without the Bama's 10 draft picks, they would have had 14 more than anyone else. 13 straight years of being number one. The numbers do not lie. Uh, all but Tennessee had someone picked in the first two rounds. Every SEC team except Tennessee, which did not have a draft pick this year, had multiple players drafted. There Third were n- time in the last five years, Connor. That's that's amazing in itself. 19 teams in the entire draft had at least five players picked. Eight of them were from the SEC. That kind of says it all. Yeah, I mean, like, and what was more impressive than just the SEC as a whole, because people talk about the strength of the conference, again, being like, well, it's just Alabama, but, which is, by the way, very, very ironic and hypocritical from any ACC fan, especially a Clemson fan. But the people talk about it's just Bama. Here's a couple of stats that I, I found that I thought like spoke to the actual strength of the conference, especially from last year. So you have not just the stuff with 64 total team or total uh, draft picks. A&M had the most uh, draft picks in program history. UK had the most in 40 years. Ole Miss had the most in 48 years. Um, Florida had at least one player drafted for the 68th consecutive year, which is the longest in the SEC. Uh, Georgia had three receivers taken, which they've never had happen in the common draft era, which was my least favorite phrase from this weekend. It's, it needs to be said, though, because it's this the common the common draft era is, is actually supposed to... You could really break it down to the seven-round era, too, from starting in 1994 if you right. really wanted to get specific, because it used to be 12 rounds. Can you imagine watching it in 12 rounds? Yeah, but also, any receiver drafted before 1967 would be probably pretty terrible today. I'll just throw that out there. Um and then Bama, of course, had at least 10 players drafted for the third consecutive year. So to put that in perspective, which was, I thought, really cool, that had only happened three times in the previous 50 years of the common draft wow. era by any SEC team. And it was Auburn, um, Florida, and Tennessee had done it once. And this has now happened three years in a row. Um, so it's pretty cool. Oh, and the Saban having more first-round picks than <laughs> losses. Um, that is by the absurd. Way, just, it, it's absurd, but Urban Meyer also has that too at Ohio State. Just throwing that out there. Oh, that's funny because one of those coaches is still coaching, Connor. Just throwing it out there. He's not the only one that, that's done that before. It is impressive nonetheless, yeah. but it was like, okay, the, you can get you can throw a bunch of other stats at me to show that Saban is, is the GOAT right. and all that. But I thought that that was played a little bit too much. Round one, Josh Allen falls to seven. How in God's name does Josh Allen fall to seven? I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean... I feel like I wasn't that surprised, only be, not because of him, just because of, like, it seems like there's always something crazy or stupid that happens in round one. But, you know, when they started, I thought he was going to possibly go to, at two. I, yeah, I thought so too. he was very confident going into it. And then UK, you know, put up that billboard and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it just goes status quo at one, two, and three. And then, yeah, you're right. I was like, what is going on? Like, how how did he drop to seven? Well, because the Raiders are the Raiders, and they decided, John Gruden decided that, uh, Cleveland Farrell was apparently better than Josh Allen. Um, <laughs> I forgot about Cleveland Farrell. Yeah. N- not a bad player by by any no. stretch of the imagination, but I emphasize the word stretch in that sentence. Um, yeah, Josh Allen falling to the Jags at seven. That was my favorite SEC yeah. fit of the first round just because the Jags at the trade deadline last year got rid of Dante Fowler, former number three overall pick out of Florida, of course. And there is a spot ready for him yeah. immediately. And the Jags are probably sitting there like, wait a minute, this is going to work out? We're going to get this guy yeah. at number seven? Well, I mean, the same thing, Oakland, I thought, I mean, 
just looking at who he would have to replace in Oakland, it would be Khalil Mack. Exactly. And I'm not saying he's a Khalil Mack type player, but I feel like he's closer to it than, than Colin Farrell, which is no Different knock position, on him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So do we want to talk Giants <laughs> first or? Um, Let's get to where well, Connor lost his mind and most of the world did as well. Yeah. So one of the teams that passed on Josh Allen was the Giants at six and the Giants, of course, take Daniel Jones. You've already seen the reaction from it. I already wrote, wrote a column basically blasting the Giants for passing on Dwayne Haskins and instead going with Daniel Jones. You are not quite in the Twitter mob. By the way, the replies on the Giants' original treat, tweet for drafting Daniel Jones was some of the better stuff I've ever seen on social media. If you haven't seen that yet, go go look at it because yeah. the Giants were trying to justify the pick on Twitter. They're like, he was the senior which is bowl MVP, <laughs> the which they've taken been. the last three years. Uh, Dave Gettleman... News news alert: uh, the big the Big Twelve um, and the Big Ten are not the same thing. Ohio State has never been in the Big Twelve, but he didn't realize that. Um, credit to him though for being able to explain the Daniel Jones pick and make everybody in New York really happy about it. So something that happened this weekend is I made a, a tweet about Joey Bosa and then put it on Instagram like as a meme. And I Joey or Nick? Nick, there you go. Um, and I. I don't know what was going on. I hadn't been drinking. Sure. I, I was focused. I'd have no clue. I promise. I have no clue what happened. But I added like three extra words into this meme. It made no sense when you're trying to read it at all. I think one of the responses was, I about had a stroke trying to read this. And I went back and read it. So what I did, and I was very embarrassed and ashamed of what happened, I just owned the mistake. What Gettleman did was, how do you get this far in life? And, and those are your basic survival skills. I don't think the pick is that bad. You guys, everyone seemed to overreact. Now, what I'll say is this. I'll start by saying this. I don't think a lot of people that are mad about this pick watched any, any Duke games last year. The problem that I have with the pick is a lot of the people that are saying, oh, well, you know, there's the connection with Eli Manning and Cutcliffe, and, and yeah. the move was made because that, oh, and Cutcliffe developed, the way he develops quarterbacks – the dudes had one quarterback drafted since Eli. Like, let's get off that train and stop pretending like he's got a quarterback he was a factory. Pretty, pretty strong offensive coordinator with Peyton too. Cool. Twenty years ago, like it's it's not 1998 anymore. Okay. I you know football has developed. The game is much different. And if you're going to play quarterback in this day and age in the NFL, there are certain skills that you need to have. Right. And I'm not saying that Daniel Jones doesn't have any of those skills, but to think that somebody who is considered a middle of the pack quarterback in the ACC would go ahead of Dwayne Haskins after he hit, just had the best season in Big Ten history. Wait, how is he a middle of the pack quarterback in the ACC? Behind who? Behind Lawrence for sure. I mean, if you want to go through behind Ryan Finley, probably as well. Somebody that Obviously a lot not. of people thought he was going to be drafted ahead of him. No, I'm just saying. Like there are a lot of people. Todd McShay thought that he was a third round guy. The Giants were were considered way, way, way higher on 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 Daniel Jones, of course, than they were. And and even more interestingly enough, so apparently Haskins wasn't even their second quarterback. It was between Daniel Jones and Drew Locke, and they go with Daniel Jones ahead of Drew Locke, and Drew Locke ends up falling out of the first round. And ultimately goes to the Broncos, and we'll get to the, we'll get to that in a second. But like this whole thing where you know everybody there there's this is such a talented draft that the Giants have so many yeah. holes to fill, and they had they had multiple first round picks, <laughs> and to go with that at six overall was just like what in the world are you doing? Three first round picks. You go to like a roulette table, and they're like, all right, you have a hundred dollars. Like, what do you want to put it on? It's like, I don't know, red or black, odd or even, that seems safe. It's like, double zero, baby, 35 to 1 odds. I mean, I, I will say, I, I, we talked about this last week. I had Jones as one of the top three quarterbacks in the draft, and this is back, as far back as October. I just, 
I'm not saying he's better than Haskins. I was just amazed at how no one could make sense of it. And everyone, especially with social media, everyone's so quick to just pile on and hate for no reason. Like, my main point is, I don't think anybody, for the most part, that was really upset about it, watched anything on Daniel Jones and had any valid opinion. Like, not not McShay and all that, but I'm saying, like, the fans that are all freaking out. Like, I don't, I don't think they were doing a lot of, like, due diligence and watching any Duke games last year. And I did, because I was gambling on them. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. So... Um, so Drew Locke doesn't go in the first round. The SEC misses out on having a first round quarterback. Again, this is the, you know, date, like I said before, dating back to 2014, Johnny Manziel. That's the last time that's happened for the SEC. Um, real quick, the over under that I set for the Jeffrey Simmons Montez sweat thing was 20 picks. Yeah, that was and the Simmons is picked at Simmons picked at 19. So you were, you were right. Cause yeah. you took the under on that. Um, the way they covered that, the Jeffrey Simmons pick oh that God. sucked. To immediately on ESPN and ABC, that was a predetermined decision. That's a producer decision. It's not the fault of no. you know Trey Wingo or somebody like that. But to immediately go to that coverage sucked. Yeah. And everybody that knows anything about Jeffrey Simmons in the last three years known that, yes, that kid messed up. He beefed up in the worst possible yeah. way. And that thing was awful. And there are a lot of coaches in the country that would not have given him a second chance. I'm not saying that you had to give him a second chance. Right. But with that second chance, Jeffrey Simmons has done everything and more to keep his name out of bad news. And yeah. he, that kid has done exactly what you could have asked. And for that to be the first thing that they that they bring up, I thought that sucked. So it's um it's hard to not have people. It's hard to not like say something where you wouldn't have domestic violence being wrong as like the unified response. Like it's it's hard to like make everyone, not everyone, but like kind of forget about what happened and be like, hold on, man, like this is not fair to this kid. And I say that kind of, you know, like like tongue in cheek a little bit, but the fact is we all know domestic violence is wrong. Just bottom line, we know that. We're not going to get into like any any part of that. What happened with Simmons, what sucked is like, you're right, like he's done everything. It's not like he's flown under the radar to say out of any trouble. He's done everything, like, like a 4.0 GPA and, and just like he's beloved like on campus with his, you know, his peers, all these things. And he's he did a horrible thing, and he's done a, as much as he can to like hopefully get people to like forget about that. But it wasn't just him immediately going into the spiel about it. It was the ten straight minutes where that's all they talked about, and they oh, they sucks. didn't show anything with his family celebrating. They didn't show anything about him celebrating in one of the biggest moments of his life. It was completely marred by something that happened to him four years ago that he made a huge mistake, and it just sucked, man. Like if I had to hear one more thing about a kid who grew up as a cowboy and only wanted to play football because he didn't want to like own a ranch one day. Seriously. I, why couldn't you just show his family celebrating? I asked Dan Mullen about that. I asked Joe Moorhead about that. I asked Dan Mullen basically like, you know, why did you give him a second chance? Like, what was that process like? Take me through. And he actually went and was like really detailed about that whole response of like, look, like we sat him down and had this meeting with him and said, if you mess up once, everybody is going to vilify you and you are not going to have yeah. a chance to do anything. And it's just simple as that because... You you are like three strikes and you're out. That that's gone when you have something like that go viral. And this is how serious the situation is. And Joe Moorhead told me like, yeah, you know, he showed up on campus in Starkville, and like two or three months went by, and he had no idea that Jeffrey Simmons was even associated with this right. because nothing that he did or said gave off that impression. Nobody talked about it because it's in the past. And not to say that we should just right. sweep this under the rug. But if somebody has done something to make amends for all of those things, that, that's the part that, that was lost in the shuffle of this ESPN thing for them to bring it up immediately, right away. It was like not a second went by and they had to automatically go into that, that coverage, that footage, and you're just like, 
what in the world are you doing here? The first words out of his mouth were, now we have to have a discussion. And I think what, what, what it was, was such a misguided attempt at trying to respond retroactively to things that have happened in the NFL and, and take it seriously and all that kind of exactly. stuff. Exactly. But it was the worst possible way to do that. Like, t- ugh. anyway, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on to Drew Locke because I got cold taked hard, real hard. Freezing cold takes, shout out Fred. I, I got retweeted bad on this one. So this, and people like tweeted at me like, quickest cold take I've ever seen, way to go, man. <laughs> so I'll tell you the little, little backstory on this. So um, the Broncos had their the Broncos um, had their first round pick where they went, were a 10 overall and then they traded to the Steelers. Steelers take Devin Bush and the Steelers, um, you know, they swap picks. So the Broncos were at number 20 overall. They end up taking no offense, the tight end out of Iowa in the first round. And then their second round pick, the Broncos' second round pick comes around. It's like number 41 yeah. overall, I think. And they take Dalton Risner, the offensive tackle from Kansas State. And I'm like, Drew Locke is sitting there on the board. John Elway did not love Drew Locke right. as much as he said he did at the senior bowl when he's like, you're not going to slip past number 10. So I tweet that out. I'm like, I'm starting to think that John Elway didn't really like Drew Locke that much. And then don't you know it, the Broncos trade up to get the very next pick wherein they take Drew Locke. Yeah. And I got cold taked hard. But I owned it, and I was wrong, and I did the quote tweet, and I said, you idiot, yeah. because I was dead wrong. The Broncos actually, fair, like, credit to them, they were smart. They were really smart in how they did this. Yeah, I mean, like, John Elway looked like a genius, but at the same time, like, yeah, it was a cold take, I guess, but at the same time, to your defense, like, they had already had two picks, and you're talking about all the way down the second round, where it's like, oh, we're 41, you're the one that said he was going to be a top 10 pick. Not right. just we'll draft you with, you're going to be a top 10 pick. <laughs> I love it though for Drew Locke. Yeah. I mean, great situation. I, I was Fantastic. talking to, to Adam Spencer, our big uh, our big Mizzou homer. Um, he does <laughs> great work for us. Obviously, we have him on all the time. But I was I was saying like this was my favorite spot for him to end up. And he was saying that he wanted him to end up with the Chargers. And I'm like, you know, backing up Philip Rivers, dude just had like his best season in a decade. Yeah. He's about to sign a new contract. He's going to play into his 40s. He's going to Denver where he's going to be the backup for Joe Flacco. He's, you know, they got Flacco under contract, I think, for two years, and they, he's got an option six or games, something Connor. like that. Six games. Yeah, six games that Drew Locke's going to play? Maybe. We'll see. I mean, if it's a good point because the only chance he'd really have to play out in San Diego is if, you know, Rivers had to miss a game because of the birth of his 11th kid or something like that. L.A., but close enough. I mean, Whatever. it doesn't matter. It's all the same at this point. Uh, yeah, so I, I like the, the idea of Drew Locke, um, you know, having a chance in the NFL. Um, so we're just going to stick with, with day two here for this discussion because there were some noteworthy things with the SEC. The DK, Metca- the DK Metcalf fall, originally, brutal, tough story, tough to watch a kid fall yeah. like that in the draft. Somebody that we had talked about after the combine that he tears up and potential top 10 pick and all that stuff, whatever. Everybody saw the, the writing on the wall with some of the, you know, the Tom Brady comparisons with the, the agility stuff. But it was all replaced by this shirtless video where he walks in. <laughs> the Seahawks tweeted this out, where he walks into the Seahawks meeting room, and don't you know, Pete Carroll, uh, DK Metcalf is shirtless, and then Pete Carroll decides to take his shirt off, and everybody just dies laughing in the room. And these feel-good moments, and then they showed, they tweeted out the video where he's on the phone crying, yeah. like, "Why'd you guys wait so long, man?" He's the last pick of the second round. That was so cool. It was. To see. It was cool to see there were a couple of people where like, I feel like in the past, and maybe I'm just prisoner of the moment right now, but there's a couple people in the past, like, there's there's absolutely nothing more uncomfortable and gut wrenching. Now that I love covering the SEC, and I'm not just a Bama homer, but like when you see a kid who's there, and he's supposed to be a first round pick, and he's back there in that green room waiting on the pick, waiting on the pick, and the whole first round goes by. And you're just still sitting there. And it's like, all right, now you come back for day two. I hate how uncomfortable and embarrassing that must feel. 
this, it was cool this year to see there were several people that slid way past where I thought they would out of the first round mm-hmm. um, from the SEC, like in particular. But they all, it seemed like, ended up in perfect fits. Exactly. It worked out really well. That was the story for the SEC on, on day two. Uh, you have Juwan Taylor dropping way out of the top yeah, ten. And was... There was reports of a knee issue. That was weird. But he ends up, ironically enough, going to Jacksonville, the team that we thought he could take, the, the team that we thought was going to take him in the first round, goes there, number 35 overall. Greedy Williams fell way, way further than we expected. Fell to a great spot. Fell, but he's with a bunch of LSU guys on the Browns, number 46. And then, of course, you had the viral clip of Freddie Kitchens throwing some shade oh, at great. LSU. He's like, oh, the, like Trey Wingo has, like, oh, you're surrounded by all these LSU guys now. He's like, well, if they had played a little better in high school, they could have went to right. Alabama. <laughs> like, uh, that's okay. That's probably about what you would expect. It, you know, it might mean a little too much there. But um, AJ Brown going to the Titans at number 51. I thought he could be a top twenty guy. Yeah. I think he's that good, and I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be the best receiver in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I, I I could see that. Like when you look at the DK thing, you want to like pull for a guy like that because of like what he had to overcome. And I, I hated the fact that everyone immediately was like, "Well, he's just a weight room warrior. He won the underwear Olympics, whatever." Kid came back from a lot, man. Kid came back from a lot. Now that being said, like broke his neck. Like, do people realize like how seriously like this, this guy got hurt last year and. You know, he didn't play a ton of games. I mean, that's that's just the reality. And, yeah, I mean, he, he has his limitations. But, like, I, I think people are dismissing him way, yeah. way too much. And the work ethic is is definitely there. Right. And I think with the A.J. Brown, though, it's, it's cool to see, you know, once D.K. was gone, that I don't want to say he picked up the slack, but that kid was everything in that offense. You know, like 94 receptions, like 1,200 yards receiving. So that was that was cool for, for rounds two and three. I don't think there was really anybody else that was – I was really surprised about Damian Harris. Damian Harris. So let's yeah, let's get into it. Um, Damian Harris ends up going from Bama to the Patriots. So like, how much is his life going to change? I don't really know. Not very much. I right? hate that fit for him because that that was. I mean, he's. Not, he, I don't know if he's a better NFL back than Sonny Michelle. Um, and you know, I just I was surprised that he dropped that far. There was I think like seven running backs taken ahead of him. Yeah, Josh. Good to see Josh Jacobs going. I, I like that yeah. situation for him uh, with the Raiders. Yeah. I think he's going to be used properly. He's going to have a chance to do a lot of different things with them and have a nice one-two punch potentially with Antonio Brown, which is still Ugh. a weird sentence. But yeah, Damian Harrison. Uh, Damian Harrison the third didn't really surprise me that much. I thought that you know, given just down the stretch, like the way that they use Josh Jacobs yeah. so much more in those critical situations, that just kind of spoke to it a little bit. And I know that he's a, you know, Damian Harris is a former five-star guy, but like, I thought there were better options than him on the board. I just, I mean, in terms of him and Jacobs, yeah, but I didn't think there was potentially six other guys that were necessarily better. True. We can we can move on. Let's stick with the Patriots though, because Jared Stidham, that's where he's going. Absolute best fit out of anybody in the entire draft. Jared Stidham of the Patriots. Ooh. Wow. When he takes over for Tom Brady in 2058, he is going to be a stud. Like he's going to be seasoned. I mean, like I'm saying that as a joke. I, I do think this is the best fit in the entire draft. What percentage do you give him to be the actual heir apparent to Tom Brady? I mean, I don't. It's weird because like they're. I don't feel like the Patriots are ever going to be bad enough to be you know have a, a early draft pick to get a, like a really good quarterback. Um, I mean, he's going to do what I like. This is. More than anything in in the draft, I think the the best way to have success at the NFL from college is by, especially for quarterbacks, giving them time to mature and develop. And this is a kid that has bounced between two systems. He has a lot of good. He has a lot of talent, but he was not utilized in the right way, like we've talked about. And I think that him being like an understudy for the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, is perfect because I think he has all the tools. How dare you just dismiss Danny Etling? 
the, the <laughs> versatile, mobile. They're gonna move Maybe him to turn him into a yeah. They're gonna turn him into a receiver. Uh, no big deal. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think that it's that's a great situation for him. And a lot of this, if you're in one of these like middle round guys, and I guess you could apply this to the first round too. So much of this is just what kind of position, what surroundings you have in order to succeed. There are a lot of people who have been like these fifth or sixth round guys that have had great careers. But just because they had great careers doesn't mean they would have succeeded anywhere. Right. And I think Jared Sidham is one of those guys that, like, you know, we, we knew that he wasn't going to be drafted to be a starter. And even Drew Locke in round two isn't drafted to be the immediate starter right away. But, like, if you give him two years, if Brady still has another two years left, I actually am, am giving him a good chance to be the replacement. I understand people are going to say, well, oh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is more talented, but like Brady wasn't 42 when Jimmy G was drafted. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the big and I think going into we, I brought this up last last week was, I think for he's, a, I kept saying he was such a safe pick because I don't think I don't know if he'll ever be a starter in the NFL, but he is a perfect candidate to be a very serviceable backup, and. He's gonna get a chance to come along fine and say, like most of those guys, like you know Peterman from the from the Bills, like they. I know he wasn't drafted like as high, but when you're uh, when you're taken and like thrown into the fire that early, like your career, your entire career could be over like in a flash. So it's perfect. I just sneak some extra almonds into his snacks, help him gain <laughs> some weight, and it'd be perfect. I also love yell the fro, dude, to the Pats. Great, great, great fit for him. That guy's going to be, you're gonna, like I said, you're going to look up 10 years from now, and he's going to be starting every game, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, okay. Um, that, they got that guy in the fourth round. And I was thinking he was going to go even later, yeah. and he was going to produce that kind of value, but Patriots are obviously just smart like I am, and they just know these types Pro football focused that he was the second best pass, um, pass blocking guard in the country. Which is crazy if you look back at, like, you know, Austin Allen basically got sacked, like, yeah. every time he dropped back. <laughs> but it's not to say that it was the fault of, of somebody who was so versatile on that team in Froholt. But um, Benny Snell to the Steelers. We love, love that. I, I mean, yeah. I think, like, from a surface-level standpoint, yeah, this is not a better place for him at all. I think it's interesting, too, that he goes to a place where he is replacing Le'Veon Bell, who was from the state of Ohio, who also has a rap career. Benny Snell, from the state of Ohio, also has an emerging rap career yeah. as Benny the Bandit, I think Pittsburgh is the perfect place for both of his careers to thrive. Well, and you look at, like, James Conner is a really good running back. He had a great, uh, is that that's, that's James Conner, right, from Pitt? Yep. He had a great rookie season. He's supposed season. to ER, so it kind of doesn't okay. count as a true Conner, but, yeah. <laughs> so he, I mean, he had a great rookie season, in fact, that, but I don't know what he's going like, to, you know, I don't think either of them are necessarily as good as Le'Veon Bell or going to put up the same kind of numbers as he had, but I, I mean, I think he could be a candidate that, you know, could possibly share time with him. I don't think like I don't think when we saw James Conner come out uh, like for the NFL draft that we thought he was that much further and better of a uh, ahead or a better prospect than Benny Snell. Now, obviously, he's done really well in the NFL so far, but I'm just not going to bet against Benny Snell yeah, with anything. Yeah, don't. Yeah, I don't want to be on his on his hater list. No, wow, that that seems like a really bad idea. Some stories that weren't as good, not so heartfelt, and you know, you kind of felt bad for these kids, but. Deontay Thompson and Mac Wilson tumble big time. These are two guys that, in the beginning of the pre-draft process, were like, ah, they're going to be maybe sneak into the back end of the first round. No, 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 no. That did not happen. They were day three guys. The Utah punter was picked before both Deontay Thompson and Mac Wilson. That was Wilson. salt in the wound. When I saw you tweet that out, that was tough. That was tough to read. Sorry. Um, Sorry. No, the thing with like Mac, I mean, I, I didn't think Mac was anywhere close to being the first-round grade that some places had him at the, in the middle of the season. Um... 
I know that there was a lot of disagreement on Twitter, especially about whether he should have stayed and how dumb it was for, you know, cause like he would have made more money and come back and, you know, he was a great player in Bama for the most part. And everyone kind of had like higher expectations that he ever was able to, to meet. But, you know, I'm not going to say whether a kid should leave early or, or stay because of like the money thing. I think he clearly had a family issue just because of some circumstances that happened. The Deontay Thompson thing. I, that one sucks. Like that kid, I wish he would have been at Bama next year. I don't know anything about his financial situation, but that one sucks. Let's get to the Terrell Lewis subtweet because it made the rounds. And if, man, the timing of it, if that guy is not talking about those two guys, um, I'd be very, very surprised because he tweets this out in the middle of the draft on Saturday. And Terrell Lewis, Alabama linebacker, tweets, one day or day one, you decide. Yeah, so I saw that tweet and sent it to Adam. I was like, this is blatantly obvious is what he's talking about. So here's the thing. Fans love that. Saban loves that. His teammate, his current teammates look at that tweet and they're like, yup, he gets it. I freaking hate it. Oh, wow. I hate it. Terrell Lewis does not know the financial situation of Deontay Thompson and Mac Wilson. I bet he to does. The point where he's able to make that situation, where he's able to make that same exact call. Terrell Lewis was asked at a press at a press conference before the playoff game, hey, what are you doing next year? Oh, well, you know what? I've actually been out for like the last two seasons and I don't really have the NFL interest. Well, no, he didn't say that, but he didn't have to say that. He's like, oh yeah, I'm coming back. He has not had to make that actual decision. The fact that he is trying to put himself in the position of these guys and say, look, you, you're, you're, you're making a mistake by going to the NFL. You would have been a first round guy coming back. I hate that he I think, feels that he is able to speak on behalf of so many people when, like, it's a bummer that he hasn't been able to play the last That's what years. we do every day. No, no, no. I, I get that. But, like, you're throwing these guys under the bus when all the, all the time you're saying, go get your money. Go get your money. We're trying to make it to the league. We're trying to do this. He has not been in this situation. So it is a bummer to see somebody act like he made this, like, mature decision and speak on behalf of Alabama as the program. You're taking like, this the worst possible way. You've taken this so far out of context, in my opinion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why I think you're wrong here. And that is the fact that what he said, yeah, I think it was in reference to what happened. But that is, like, when you say Terrell, Terrell is it Hall or Lewis? Did he change the Hall? He cha- it's Lewis. Okay, he Terrell Lewis. So he, saying that he doesn't know as much about the financial situation, he knows way more than any of us or anyone else that was responding on Twitter about this. Like... I, Barrett Salee made a comment about it, like, oh, you know, you don't know the financial situation, blah, 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 which is ironic to see him, like, talking down to people. But when you talk about Terrell Hoss, if in, or Terrell Lewis, if anyone was close to that situation and knew anything about it, it was him. And I think everyone took it in a way of, like, he was, like, talking down to them or, like, you know, it was in reference to him, like, talking trash about how they should have stayed. Those those guys were teammates, man. Those guys were brothers and, and played for played together for three years. And I think more than anything, he wanted to see the best happen for them has nothing to do with like you know what you're dumb you left early you should have stayed and blah, blah blah like I stayed it has nothing to do with that it has everything to do with the fact that like yeah I think he might have said like it was in reference to them you know making a better decision and saying but it had it had no like bad intentions like everyone assumed so what was what was the main the main intention then of the tweet from what you, from what you from what you took away from it I mean I, I think that he was referencing again like the players leaving. And they would have made more money if they would have stayed. But it wasn't anything that was like negative towards them. Like you're you're dumb. You should have stayed. Blah blah. blah. Like he, he just basically it is what it is. Like this is what happened. Like I don't think he was saying I'm making a smarter decision. I'm staying because of this at all. 
Like, and also we we don't know what he could have meant. Like, he he could have just meant his motivation for himself. Fair enough. If he means that as motivation for himself, then then I take back everything I said. Whatever the timing of it, though. There's no player that's gonna talk trash about like a guy they played with for three straight years in the like in the middle of the biggest moment of his life just on Twitter. But that, did that not look exactly like it? I it mean, that's, looked that's like my it, problem. But that's what we do in the media is we freak out about stuff and, and have this reaction that we think they're doing and like and we we've had no context or, or input from what he actually meant. So that's all I'm saying. Like, I don't think that some if you play on a team in any kind of organized sport, and especially at that level, when you are you are with each other every single there's guys that I hated as a person, but when we were playing like baseball together, like those guys were like we're my brothers. Like we we went through a lot a lot of stuff together. And I don't think that he is dumb enough or selfish enough that he would have called them out like for a mistake they made to slight them on the on their draft day. Fair enough. I had a problem with the timing of it. Like as these guys are falling and they're they're obviously not feeling great. But like let's like I said earlier, we were talking about them potentially going into the back end of the first round. It's not like these guys were, oh, we're we're looking at them as like they're they're gonna be day three guys no matter what. If you told me that Deontay Thompson and Mac Wilson were going to be day three guys at the start of the draft, I would have said you're crazy. Right. I thought they were going to be second round picks and I thought that they were going to get that money and I thought it was gonna the, the move was gonna look smart and financially beneficial for them to potentially yep. go. When they're falling, that's the problem that I have. It's like, oh, man, like, one day or day one, you decide. Like, they didn't decide. Like, like yeah, maybe they didn't do everything in the pre-draft process that they could have to maximize their stuff. And I heard, you know, there was stuff about Mac Wilson where he was asked about some of his, his social media behavior and teams were asking him about that all the time. And he had to basically own up for that. And maybe that was one of the reasons that teams were scared off. Maybe another was the fact that, like, the guy just did not finish looked the season well at all. Only had a 29 really looked lost. And you can't look lost in coverage if you're a linebacker in this day and age. And I get that. But like I just I had a problem with that just because of where where Lewis is coming from in this situation and the timing right. of it just did not sit. Well. I just think that we should I mean, like Calvin Ridley responded to the tweet we had on on like Bama's SDS Twitter and oh dude. yeah and the first thing he said was like y'all tripping which you know what I'm not going to read too much into that but I would just I, I would think from like my own personal experience and just with I, I, how I would assume those guys are like again there's people that I played with forever that I, I didn't like. Um, but like, there's no way that I would rebel in in them not achieving their dreams because that that's if when you look at it like that's what the main goal is besides winning a national championship. So there were guys who did not get drafted, guys that you know at least Mac Wilson, Deontay Thompson, they came off the board on day three. Three guys that really stood out. And there's probably more that I'm forgetting, and I apologize if I am. But the three guys that I really, really did not think would go undrafted: Emmanuel Hall, Elijah Holyfield. And Kyle Shermer. I thought all of those guys were going to be like at least, I don't know, like maybe like round four, round five, that there was going to be a team that was going to take a chance on them. But they ended up not getting drafted. And I, Emmanuel Hall, that, that's the that one sucks. that I really cannot figure out. He ran a 4-3-9. Dude's healthy. He, got, he came back from a midseason injury and <laughs> asked Drew Locke about Mizzou without Emmanuel Hall. He had a, he had a 4-3-9 and a, an 11-foot, 3-inch vertical in the combine. I'm pretty sure that, the, not vertical, I'm sorry, 11-inch, 3-foot broad jump in the uh, in the combine. It's pretty amazing. That's and, yeah, and like And like all the stats, like again, we've talked about this a bazillion times. That offense went... As he as he went, like if he was in the lineup, like they were a totally different offense. And he, I don't know what else he could have done. And what pissed me off more than anything on this, and I don't care how this sounds, but I don't know their team needs or anything. I'm just purely from my own bitter standpoint. Chandler Cox, a fullback from Auburn, getting drafted ahead of Emmanuel Hall. It has nothing to do with he went to Auburn, but a fullback being drafted ahead of one of the better receivers in the conference. 
It's crazy to me. I can't remember the Georgia player that tweeted out, like, wait till Elijah Holyfield sees that first safety or whatever it was. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. I remember the, the LSU run that he had where he just, I can't remember who the safety was that got blown up, but it was my, devastating. My favorite tweet was somebody saying he's probably not drafted because he's still finishing his 40. It was just, like, it was just wow. it was so, so savage. But I mean, in Holyfield, oh. I think he'll be a good pro, man. Like, I don't think his his prospects of coming back would have been necessarily better. I think he'll be good. I was starting to think for a second that Trayvon Williams wasn't going to get drafted. And that would have just been, that would have blown me away. So, I, mean, he, I mean, I think he went, what, six rounds? Six round. But way too late for somebody who, like I said, I I think we're going to look back 10 years from now and we're going to be like, wait, Trayvon Williams had 2,000 yards from scrimmage in right. the SEC? Like, why didn't, why, why didn't we talk more about this? Like, that was unbelievable what he did in Jimbo Fisher's system, not only as a runner, but, like, as a pass catcher, too. It's like, why why is this guy falling he, all the way to the returns. Like, he didn't do it last year because they needed him too much in the offense, but, like, he was he was their return man the year before. A lot of value. Yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I And you know what? Like everybody says towards the end of the draft, you're better off just being an undrafted guy than a seventh-round guy because then you can exactly. go and take your next spot. Yeah. Teams can offer you a little bit more in terms of a signing bonus, all that. Um, but, yeah, just just weird. I thought, especially Kyle Shermer, too. Like after the last two years that he had with his dad's connections in the NFL. His dad's like, connections. That was Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that – well, that, I mean, that was part of it, but, like, he also, let's not forget, like, coming into the 2017 season, everybody's like, oh, it's Ralph Webb is the entire team, and then Ralph Webb wasn't good, no. and Kyle Shermer actually, like, ended up having a decent season yeah. in the last, last couple of years. I think you can make the case, and given the skill set, that he's somebody that I thought would have interest in the next level. Don't get me wrong. Like, dude's still going to be holding a clipboard for the yeah. next decade but on it, an NFL sideline, but still. It would be like if he had Dwight Sales, but he was still Michael's nephew. I mean, it's a perfect, it's, you know, I thought his dad would at least take him. Yeah, I was waiting for those spots. I was getting ready for that tweet, but that uh, that, that did not ultimately happen. Mm. Um, Never mind. I was going to say Savion Smith, but I'm over it. Okay. You, you sure you got any other Bama guys that you want to No, I mean, that, I was, it, was just, it was guys about. in general. Like the Emmanuel Hall thing. Like, it, it, Mizzou in general got just kind of really overlooked, I thought, unfairly in this draft. A lot, yeah, but went, went in the seventh round. That's stupid. I mean, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see the way that some of this shakes out because you know, for as great of a draft as the SEC had, I kind of felt like the story was all these guys falling way past what we originally thought. Yeah. I don't know. There weren't a ton of guys that I looked up and said, "Oh yeah, like that that guy was actually taken like a round or two earlier than I thought that he would." Right. But um, oh well, that's that's the nature of the NFL draft. Let's stick on the NFL draft subject, but instead. Let's let's take a little look back, a little, little trip down memory lane, because I think we talked about this on the podcast last year, but I'm not entirely sure. I looked back at the mock drafts from last year, the 2019 mock drafts that came out immediately after the 2018 draft concluded, and there were some interesting uh, guys in those mock drafts, and I hate, I hate, hate, hate to call out our now good friend Matt Miller, Bleacher Report, who we had on last week, gave us some great insight for the draft. It was awesome. We're definitely going to have him back on. But our guy Matt Miller had Nick Fitzgerald in the first round of his first mock draft for 2019. I, and is that a forgivable thing? I don't know. So I remember uh, Todd McShay also had, what's the kid's name? It sounds like an old rich white guy from Northwestern, Clayton Thurston. Clay, Clayton Thorson. Clayton Thorson. Um he had him in the first round too, which like I, that's probably actually more forgivable than Nick Fitzgerald. No offense, Matt, because he's great his job, and I really enjoy reading all of his stuff. But anybody that looked at Nick Fitzgerald and said that he was a first round draft pick, that is mind blowing to me. Like it's like maybe he's a closer in baseball because he's got a really good arm um, and never knows where it's going. But yeah, that, that's tough. Nick Fitzgerald 
Clayton Thorson, and if anybody can remember this name, I'll be really impressed. Mitch Leidner from Minnesota. Oh yeah, have all appeared have all appeared in these first rounds of these like way too early mock drafts because what happens is these guys are like six five two thirty, and you look at those numbers and you also look at the fact that they're multi year starters and they can move a little bit. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, they could develop into a first-round quarterback. And these guys get the benefit of the doubt. And all these fan bases come out and they're like, wait, what are, what are you talking about? There's no way these guys are going to be first-round quarterbacks. They won't even be picked in the first two days of the draft. Yeah. And then sure enough, you know, Nick Fitzgerald, yeah, not the best way to close his career. And he was also coming off the ankle injury, which is kind of weird, too, that he was in the first round. But, um, okay, how about this one? This one is also pretty rough. Jake Bentley. That's Jake Bentley was at number th- he was the number 3 quarterback in Todd McShay's preseason position rankings for prospects. Okay, so and, and <sighs> one thing we need to remind people of with the quarterback situation is I don't think anyone thought Hassan's going to have this year. No one knew about Kyler Murray. It, it, he was nowhere near this draft being in the first True. round. But Justin Herbert Herbert, whatever whatever his last name is from Oregon, who is It's Herbert. You're you're making this too complicated. Okay. Come on. Herbert um, I don't know if it was French. Bear, bear. So Justin Herbert was already being mentioned. He'll be a top 10 pick next year, maybe top five or number one overall um, in next year's draft. And that's what people thought going into last season as well. So to still have Jake Bentley, like if that's number one, and to say you only have one other person ahead of Jake Bentley, that's surprising. But I also, I kind of get, if, if everything's based on a projection, everyone thought he was going to be a lot better than he was. The Bentley thing was, it's looking back on it, it's tough. But at the time, I don't even, that's the thing, is the Fitzgerald thing I remember looking at and being like, okay, that's just bonkers. But the Bentley thing, I actually didn't even really realize at the time, right? Maybe it wasn't noteworthy enough to the point where it seemed appalling because people, as we said, were really, really high on Jake Bentley last year coming into the season in that new offense with Brian McClendon. And we talked about him a lot in the preseason. So I guess to have him as the number three quarterback coming out, uh, at, at you know at the end of his junior season, that wouldn't have been that wild. But looking back, you're like, wait, this guy. There's no way this guy is ready to make NFL reads. Well, he's going to have the most. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think you know from a stat standpoint, it, I thought he was going to put up a lot better numbers because you know I don't, I don't know how they're going to be this year. They they could be better in year two. Um, I think they will be. But like from a talent standpoint, what's around him? Like Debo Samuel ain't coming back. You know, like you had him. Yeah. You had him for last year and. And still put up the most interceptions. Like he in the entire conference, he was tough. I, not to not to rip on Jake Bentley too much here, but I, w- I went back and I looked. I every once in a while, like I, I like seeing what a quarterback's mistakes are, like what they do when they're at their absolute worst. I just I just think that it's it's really revealing. Like like Drew Locke had that that game against South Carolina actually, where he dropped back and threw like the worst pick six that we've ever seen. And you're like, yeah. oh wait wait, Drew Locke. You shouldn't be doing this at this level of football. You shouldn't be doing that in Pop Warner making a read like that. Like Jared Stidham when they ran that trick play against LSU Tennessee, they're doing all those things. Yeah, and, and you're just like, wait a minute. There's something that's not clicking there. You're maybe not ready for the big time if you make a play like this. So I went back and actually that game that Jake Bentley re- played really well against Clemson. Yeah, he had this pick six that was so atrocious, throwing out of his own end zone, where like he just flat out. I think it might have even been Trayvon Mullen. And just did not see him standing there at all. And it was like, wait, if he's still making this type of throw in year three as a starter, and that was at the end of the season, and I, 
Yeah. That's that's tough to to sit there and stuff. And not to just magnify one play because obviously everybody is bad plays. So but like I, there are certain things with Bentley. I know I, I get that. But like there are certain things with Bentley where those moments are way too frequent. Like you said last like last year he had an interception in how many games? I mean it was like double digit games that he threw a pick. Yeah. It was like I forgot. Can't I think have that. All but three games I think he threw an interception and he had like we talked about how it said you know two steps forward one step back thing. But that is I mean that is one of the I can't believe you just said like you have to go back and look at. <laughs> Look at people's mistakes. I know, like just for a minute, just just because I think it, I think it's interesting to see because you could, and maybe this is um, this is actually part of like the Christian Hackenberg theory that I have. The Christian Hackenberg theory is that you can cut up a quarterback's film of like five six minutes and you can make him look like a stud, oh, yeah. and you can spin any way that you want. And there are a lot of good highlight films with Christian Hackenberg where you're like, oh my gosh, this kid is unbelievable. And then if you actually like Google Christian Hackenberg interceptions or something like that, you're like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This this is not going to yeah. work. This is going to be really, really bad. And I don't take any players with rosacea either. So yeah, that's, that's a me that's thing. Uh, this this next one is maybe I sh- maybe I was a little bit premature in putting this guy on this list. Yeah, um, <laughs> but Raekwon Davis made this list because at this time last year it was everywhere that he was considered a top 15 pick, and he ends up coming back to school at Alabama and. Quentin Williams outshined him completely on that defensive line. Like, right. obviously, that, that was the case. And that everybody kind of forgot about Raekwon Davis. And like, he was, our Rick Stavick had him at the number one overall player in the SEC oh, yeah, coming into the year, right. which we thought we we weren't totally on board with that idea. But, like, people were super, super high on him. And, and he's showing up in early mock drafts for this year. But, like, I, I'm still just a little bit baffled that, that people are still so high on him when, like, he's been given opportunities. And usually if you're given opportunities at Bama – the guys, especially in the defensive line, Saban's track record at that position is is incredible. Usually, guys make the most of it, and he is not at all. I mean, I don't think he made a bad decision. I don't think he played. He had a good year last year. Um, I mean, he had what eight and a half sacks the year before. I think I don't think he matched that by any means. But I mean, Raekwon Davis. No, I think he might have had like nine sacks. Regardless, I mean, like I Quentin Williams. Yeah, he outshined it. But Quentin Williams put on had the best season out of any defensive lineman that Bama's had in at least what like probably 20 years i would think um yeah raekwon davis there's i I don't know if he's gonna be a first round pick next year but his size alone is i'm sure nfl scouts love that uh and there was really no benefit if he was going to come out this season if he wasn't the number one overall guy because this defensive line class is the deepest i I think you know we've seen the nfl in like what last 25 drafts yeah it was just interesting looking back and seeing him way ahead of like jeffrey jeffrey simmons montez sweat guys like that and you know, he was kind of he was a consensus like top fifteen guy. Right. That that's why I included him on this list. Is you know he's considered a top fifteen guy, and then you know he ends up deciding he's going to come back to school when nobody was thinking. Oh yeah, this is going to be a first round guy. This one was a just baffling in, in many ways, and I, I want to kind of flesh this out a little bit. Natrus Patrick, the Georgia linebacker, the troubled Georgia linebacker who had three marijuana related incidents during his time at Georgia. Georgia fans know that. During the Rose Bowl, he was actually in a rehab facility. That's where he watched the game oh, wow. from. And then he got to go to the national championship. He got let out of rehab that morning. And he said, like, the coolest moment of his college career was getting to go to the national championship and walk into the locker room. And, like, he was just overwhelmed with with, with emotion. He's somebody that I, I talked to during the, tree, the pre-draft process and got to hear, like, his whole story. He actually, like, had, like, an okay year. And, but he stayed out of trouble, which was a big thing. But Todd McShay had him at number three as the number three inside linebacker in this this draft class. Now that's 
pretty baffling on a variety of fronts for you know he had obviously the red flags there with with all the you know the the weed related stuff in his career but this guy actually stayed out of trouble and he still went undrafted which speaks to the fact that like the evaluation was probably wrong to begin with yeah i think like you know especially with these early drafts like this again this is like bracketology i've never understood how you could have like i'm lucky to have this job but i've never understood how you could have an entire career based off of projecting something that's months away where there's so many other factors that can be involved that like to find the end result and be wrong about it so often. Like no one cares. Like if we say something wrong, like, like if we predicted something, it, like people would be all over us on social media. And these sure. people come up with all these mock drafts over and over and over again. And I don't know like the percentage uh, of the players that they actually have that are even close to being correct, but I don't think it's high. Uh, this so Todd McShay actually had 13 of 32 first-round picks from his initial mock draft, which, by the way, he says it's his least favorite thing that he has to do every yeah. year. It still got 13 out of 32, which is actually pretty That's good. That's pretty good, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it's 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 almost like baseball. It's like, I mean, like it's it's a game of failure almost. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we still just read so much into it every single time they put it out. The Nature's Patrick thing, I'm assuming, I, I'm going to say this is as, as simple as Roquan Smith was leaving, he was supposed to step yeah. in, that's it. Yeah, that, that, and you're probably right. And the Leonard Floyd stuff, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're a Georgia linebacker, you're just expected to all of a sudden be a first-round pick. It's Yeah, there's there's a lot of that to it, and I'm sure that went into the evaluation. I included this last guy on this list just because of how high somebody was on him. Jason, Jason McIntyre of the big lead. I'm team no enemies, but I am not a Jason McIntyre fan. I can get into that discussion another time. He had Jared Sediment, number four overall in his mock draft, his initial mock draft. And I included that there because there are people that had cinnamon in the mock drafts, but actually wasn't as high as I initially thought. McIntyre was the only one that I saw that was like number four overall. Like this guy's going to be a top five pick and really, really was sold on him. And yeah, he was somebody that we t- we came into the year talking about as a possible first round quarterback. But number four overall, really? In that gadget system, we really thought that Gus Malzahn's offense was going to produce a a, a top five quarterback like Jared Stidham. It's not Cam Newton. Let's keep that in mind. Like, di- very different player. I just thought that that was at least noteworthy. Well, they were, I mean, I, I think the only thing I'll just say to defend that, I'm, I'm, I'm team enemies, so I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll definitely hate on this guy with you. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, number four, that doesn't, that doesn't really surprise me because, like we've talked about many times, my bookie, um, they had on their site before the start of the season, there were three players, like, b- before the start of 2018 season, Three possible players that would have been the number one overall draft pick for the NFL draft, and it was Ed Oliver, Drew Locke, and Jared Siddham. And you know, like going coming out of last season and last year's draft, I don't think those receivers were injured yet. I'm, I'm not going to defend it. It's just, I mean, but I, I, other people had it as well. Let's go to the way too early mocks. Oh my God, they, this is they are control. out. This is great. So Mel Kiper comes out with his basically like a, just a top ten list standard. Didn't go through the full like mock. Six of his top ten. From the SEC. You've got Tua, Jerry Judy, Derek Brown, Grant Delpit, Andrew Young, Jake Fromm. Our guy Matt Miller. 15 SEC players in his mock. He's got the first one. And keep in mind, the most we've ever had in one in one draft is 12. 12. That happened in uh 2013. I think it happened again. It's, did it happen in 2017? I don't know. Whatever the case, Jake Fromm is the first SEC player off the board, as he said on this podcast. Fine with that. Number four. He's got eight Bama players in there. I, I'm just going to say this right now. I don't care if I get cold takes on this one. Bama's not having eight guys in the There's first There's absolutely no way. <laughs> They're just not going to. Uh, that'd be a record. Jerry Judy, Tua, Dylan Moses, Raekwon Davis, Trayvon Diggs, Henry Ruggs III, 
Terrell Lewis, Anthony Jennings. Who is the guy that maybe let's just let's just because I feel like you can keep it within Bama and pick one guy that you're like, yeah, that guy's not going to be a first rounder. It's, it's between two. It's Trevon Diggs and Henry Ruggs. And it's Henry Ruggs, and and it has nothing to do with the like any of these other guys. Anthony Jennings is probably a close. Actually, I won't say it's Trevon Diggs. It's it's Henry Ruggs or Anthony Jennings. Um, I d- despite our disagreement on his tweets, Terrell Lewis, I think could could have a huge year and potentially be a first round uh, type talent. I think he's that good. Um, and he's crazy athletic, but Henry Ruggs, I, I, I love Henry Ruggs. He is a great receiver. Um, he's kind of like the most unsung hero of that whole group. Cause you have, you know, Smith catching the second 26 and we all know what Judy did last year, but Ruggs runs like a four, two, five. Like, I mean, he, he can fly. That being said, when's the last time you saw Bama receivers being drafted in the first round outside of Calvin and Julio and Amari? That rarely happens. It's happened three times the, like under Saban. When is the last time you saw two Bama receivers drafted in the first round? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily bet on on, on Ruggs. I, I, and I like Ruggs, too. I, I think he's he's so fun to watch in space. And, I mean, that guy is just – he, he kind of last year really, really came into his own and was such a key part and maybe a little bit overlooked because of how good Judy was. But, yeah, I, I would say that he's, he's a candidate – I'm going to say Lewis. I'm going to say Lewis is the guy that I, I think is going to miss out. Just because, and this isn't necessarily to do with his tweets. This is like, dude has missed 25 of his last 29 games. To get a feel for like who he was as a player, I actually went back and watched Spring game? the, the I, went, I went back and watched the Bama-Georgia like national championship. And there was, somebody had like cut up every play that he was involved. Like not even the plays that, not even every play that he was involved in, but just every play that he was on the field for. Had I was like, okay, like, yeah. He's he's good. He had a big sack. Don't get me wrong. Like he had some nice pressure on Jake Fromm. But like I mean, he wasn't necessarily a force. He was good, but to bank on him being a first round pick after he has spent so much time out, I feel like a lot of the stuff that goes into that is recruiting rankings. People are still in love with that. People are in love with the fact that like you look at this guy and he is built like a house. I mean, I remember seeing that picture of him on the boat last year or during that video where they were on Saban's boat. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, that guy is a college athlete. Like he, he looks like a bodybuilder. I mean, yeah. he's, he's huge. Um, but I'm still just not quite sold on him necessarily being this this first-round guy. Yes, he, maybe he'll have a good year. Uh, the potential's there. But I'm I'm going to bet on the guy who's missed 25 his last 29 yeah. games to not be All a right, first-round. All right, well, here's what I'll say while you're wrong real quick. Move on. The NFL is purely based off of quarterback play and yep. getting to the quarterback. And True. we just saw in this draft – the last receiver, to, I've never seen an SEC receiver put on that kind of show at the Combine that DK Metcalf had. And I'm not saying that Ruggs and him are the same, but we just saw plenty of, of uh, SEC players fall out of the first round, especially at receiver. So, I, I mean, it'd be hard-pressed for me to say that two are going to come from the same team. Fair enough. I would agree But I love with that. Ruggs. Move on. Here we go. Dabo. He's got a new deal. $93 million. Not enough money to pay the players. $93 million. 10 years. His average of $9.3 million per year tops Saban's $9.25 million. I'm sure that's just a total coincidence. The best part about the contract is the fact that there is an Alabama buyout clause in the deal. By now, everybody's probably seen it, but just in case you haven't seen it, the the deal essentially adds $2 million more onto whatever buyout. Let's let's say Dabo left for like the Texas job or something like that. He would owe four million dollars through twenty twenty if that if that deal were to right. happen. First two years. If he left for Bama, yeah. If he left for Bama through twenty twenty, it'd be six million. So it's basically adding on like 
a little bit of money. It's one and a, you know, yeah, it's one uh, and a half Redak times what the original amount is. Yeah, one and a half times the original amount. Uh, Radakovich, their their AD, like maybe just trying to have a little bit of fun with this. Um, no, I don't think he is. <laughs> maybe having a little fun, but also kind of like, hey, like, so you're not going to take the Bama job, right? Right? Like, let's just put this in there just just for kicks, just for laughs. But like, maybe having a little fun, but also being like, yeah, okay, we better get paid if you're going to leave for Bama. It's, it, this made me crack up in for several reasons because. Like, Dabo is a great coach. He's fantastic. Um, obviously, he's had a lot of success recently with Bama. But what's crazy to me is the, the like, the pretend security that Clemson fans have. They say they have over, like, why would Dabo leave for Bama? I don't disagree with that. But this just kind of speaks to the fact that, like, no matter what you're saying and trying to portray as yourselves, like, <laughs> you're still scared that this possibility could happen. And I don't think it will. I really don't. Um, mainly because of the fact that the buyout isn't even that expensive. Like, what was Manny Diaz's buyout at Temple? Wasn't it like $4 million, Or was it Jeff Collins uh, um, going to Tech? I think I think Miami was responsible for paying that. and ended up being like $4 million that Temple got. Yeah, Temple Temple made like $4 bucks to like just have a coach for two weeks. I mean... <laughs> they, they got paid like two buyouts during that whole if process. You think, if you think that paying an extra $2 million <laughs> when they're putting in a damn space station at the stadium is going to stop Bama from, from trying to go after Dabo... That's crazy. I, I mean, I don't. I, I, it's cool. It's good for him. Like he was rewarded for having a, a great, you know. He he brought that entire program back to to relevance. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was funny. It was like that moment in the office where uh, Michael sees Jan and he's like with Holly, but like there's that whole awkward thing. And, and Holly or uh, Jan was like, "Yeah, um, one more thing. Don't don't date Holly." Oh yeah, of course. I hate her. Like that was like straight up what this was. So in that scenario, though. Dabo is, is going to date Holly. Dabo is going to come to Bama. I mean, I, I would love it. I just, I don't, I, I guess at this point, but I, yeah, that, that was, that's such a weird thing to have in the contract. Yeah. I love that, that, that went public so quickly. Like people, the people who, the good foot soldiers out there who look at these contracts yeah. and look at them up and Thank down, you. they found that they got that on the internet so fast. Thank you. Thank you. Because we, we need well, yeah, like Where else would he so go? Where, where else would he leave at Clemson besides Bama? No, I mean, there's, there's no job besides Bama that would make yeah. sense for, for Dabo. Like there's, there's absolutely not. So the conversation then shifted to, okay, I, and I said this after the national championship. I think th this is all but all but over in terms of Dabo to Bama. I think the the possibilities have decreased significantly in the last year. So now, if Dabo isn't the guy at Bama, and let's say I think that the time frame for Saban, I'll even go a little bit conservative here. I think the time frame that Saban has left at Bama is three to five that, years. He's okay, first off, you said three or, three or under. The other day, yeah, I, I lost I think, my mind. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went conservative just for this. My prediction, if I'm predicting, three more years. That that would be my, my my guess. But let's. I think just because if you open up the search a little bit more and you you want to say, all right, Saban's just going to defy, you know, whatever he's going to he's going to hit seventy and he's going to get a second win, whatever. I think this discussion is more interesting if you look at it from a three to five year window. It's too tough to look at it from like a, a nine to ten year window. Wait, can we break down why you think he's going to retire in three years? Because that's the interesting I think the point, way that, I think. Right. So, I mean, there are, there are a lot of factors that go into it nowadays with the fact that, like, this job is, is so much more year-round than it was five years ago. I think the way that the recruiting cycle is set up now where you have the early signing period, I think the fact that a lot of these guys have to host these official, these official visits in the summer, I just think that the way that the game is set up, it's a little bit different for Saban. And if he... If, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if this scenario presents itself where all of a sudden Saban is like, 
getting the national championship and he can't beat Clemson. Again, not saying that's going to happen, but those are the type of things that, you know, like what everybody criticized Urban Meyer for, for leaving Florida, where he's like, oh, he realized he couldn't beat Saban. He got tired. He left. There's something to that that could be factored in. Do I think Saban is built the same way Urban Meyer is? No, but I think there are a lot of factors that can contribute to somebody at age 70 looking at the rest of the year calendar and saying, man, this is, this is a grind. Like, I, what do I have left to accomplish at this point? If he passes, you know, he gets to a certain point where maybe he wins another title. Yeah, maybe I could see that scenario. Like, what, what, that's not that crazy. Yeah, so I think it is. And, and the reason I'll say that is why. Like, like Nick Saban's been working since he was like 13 years old. This is what he does. He's Sick very, brag. very um, focused and hardworking and meticulous and all those things. And, you know, on one side of that, you could see how that would maybe be how he is and operates every day and wouldn't know what to do if, if he was retired and had all this downtime. Um, but at the same time, you know, like you could, you could say like, well, maybe he is tired. I don't know. The part about, I mean, he's 68. This is not that old. Like yeah, 67, he's 67. He's turned 68 this year, right? Halloween this year. Halloween maybe. this year. So if he retires in, in when he's 70, like, I don't want him to go out the way, Bobby Bowden did, or Petrino did, or anything, or well, Paterno did, or anything like that. I definitely don't want to go out the way Petrino did. Um, but, like, I, I don't see him just calling it quits, one, unless he knows that, like, the program is going to be in good hands, or if he really doesn't think he can execute at the same level, which, you know, where, like, where kids aren't buying in, all that kind of stuff. The thing about it not being Clemson is so frustrating for me to hear, because what people forget, I understand... 44 to 16. I understand what Dabo's built, and I understand that I'm a Bama fan, and probably some of this is coming from a little bit of bias, but let's not forget that they are literally two and two in the college football playoffs with two national championships apiece in the last four years. Like, how do people not understand? Like, this whole shift that we love to talk about, it happened when Ohio State and Urban beat Bama, all that kind of stuff. When, like, when this whole shift started to happen, like, as soon as the season ends, it's like, you know, you keep looking at what's next, what's next. Like, like that's why we always talk about who's going to replace him. We're like, is, is Saban not the greatest coach of all time? Edward Ashoff said yesterday, Dabo's a top five coach of all time. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, the Urban Meyer thing, I get what you're saying. But also, Urban Meyer was running the state of Florida, which has some of the most, like, the best recruits in the country. And he left for a national brand that had nowhere near the competition in that whole conference. As they, as no, but here. he had a year off. I mean, he had a year where he said, like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, he had the fake retirement, all right. that stuff. Like that, that's my point is that he's. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that Saban is built the same way as him. And, and I agree with you. I think, like I said before, like the 2018 Clemson team. I think we're going to look back as one of the greatest teams of all time. Yeah, and we're I do gonna think, have to. Otherwise, they're going to shove it down our throats every single time it's ever brought up. Yeah, and I don't think that this is necessarily like just. Oh, this is just how the rivalry is going to go. I'm saying in the event that Saban is like, you know what. This Dabo guy, like he's, I've, I've, he's passed me up. Like he's passed me up in terms of the current landscape of the sport. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm saying if it happens and he has this realization where he's like, you know what, I've accomplished everything I need to in my life. Right. I don't want to spend another five years trying to keep up with this guy. It's just too difficult. I, and you know what? There's, there's something wrong yeah. with that. Like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying in terms of now that the way that this, this conversation has shifted is it has shifted because it looks like the Dabo door is closing, and that's why people have moved on a little bit to this other discussion. So let's let's get to that. Yeah. And, because, and by the way, it wouldn't be because of Dabo. It would be because of Kirby. Just throw that out there. We'll get to it later. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. So let's say Saban does have three to five years left. Who are the top candidates, the top non-Dabo candidates, 
to replace him. In this hypothetical scenario, if you're predict you're predicting this. No, you, the one that yeah, Paul the one that Paul Feinbaum threw out the other day that I that I agree with that they like would theoretically make a lot of sense is Jeremy Pruitt. Everybody knows about his Bama connections to the state, to the school, all of that. He would have if if he builds Tennessee into a power, he would have everything that you would want for a potential Saban replacement. Another one under the Saban tree, Mario Cristobal of Oregon, a guy who obviously spent time at Bama was there for four years, which. Bama assistants will stay there for four years this day and age. No, it yep. never happens. Um, obviously, there's some affinity there. Um, I, who did he, I think Bama, what did Bama steal him from? Like Miami he was the head or something coach like at that? FIU, and then I think he was at Miami. Um, yeah. Like he, he's, then, he's been, uh, he's a fantastic recruiter and a really good coach. Mel Tucker, Colorado. That somebody that's not going to be on any of these. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's going to put him on this list. But like the fact that he is considered... You know, this is this is obviously his first Power Five head coaching job, so that's that's a little bit of a wild card. I get that, but somebody who has been at Bama, somebody that has worked under Saban, if he builds Colorado all of a sudden into a Pac-12 contender, and three four years from now we're like, oh my gosh, this guy's like this guy should be getting a better job. He would be somebody that would be in the conversation, especially as a defensive-minded guy. How about this one? You're gonna hate, I this hate one. Jeff most Brown. of these. Jeff Brown spent a year in the state of Alabama, which probably doesn't mean a whole lot, but. Uh, he was head coach, or he was the um, offensive coordinator at UAB. Jesus, Connor. Yeah, like four years ago. Yeah, four or five years ago. So there's that. There's the fact that, like, if Purdue is all of a sudden competing for division titles. And I realize, like, with all of these guys that I'm throwing out here, all of those coaches, you're lo- you're looking at and you're like, wait, their programs aren't very good. I'm saying they need to get them good for Bama to consider them. That's, that's the hypothetical scenario that I'm throwing out, that Bama would be interested in these guys. So I threw in Jeff Brom just because his innovative offense, like, this guy is, you know, as Tennessee, like, People want this guy. He turned down Louisville. That would be a job that obviously he would come running to. Last one. We'll just close it out with this. Well, before I get to a couple of coordinators. Let's ride the lane train. Let's just throw this this idea out no. there. We're three, four years from now. No, we're, we can't even we can't even get on board. We're, we're, we're sitting I'm, at the station. This is like, I, I'm, this, I'm struggling here because, and I don't want you to take this personally, but we're talking about the hypotheticals. Like these are all wild cards that that are like less than five percent could could happen, but like these are it's a hypothetical of a hypothetical, and I feel like the only real candidates, none of these people are real candidates except for maybe Cristobal and and Pruitt. I think I said it on the podcast last fall. I think like Pruitt would be like like a, a person that would potentially be a, a replacement for Saban because if he does have success, like you said at Tennessee down the line, that then yeah, I could see that, but like. Saying like I mean Venables maybe to have like the coordinators or but like to have Josh Gaddis on the list. Okay, so you did yeah, I was I was gonna get to that. So the court the two coordinators that I would say to keep in mind, Brent Venables, because if you can't get Dabo, get the guy who's been the secret to his success uh for the last like seven years. Uh Brent Venables would be interesting and I'm I'm like that's a total wild card, but like we're projecting here. We're we're looking three, four years down the line if that's a route that they wanted to go and the Clemson defense was still cranking out NFL talent like it did this year. That would be maybe a little bit of a different discussion. Josh Gaddis is a name to remember because he's taking over the Michigan offense. And if he leads Michigan, if he is the reason that Michigan gets to a playoff berth this year, which he will get a ton of credit because Jim Harbaugh has completely surrendered the offense, has nothing to do with the offense. He is somebody who at age 35 is going to be a rising name in the coaching world. And I'm not saying that Bama would look at him like right now. This is projecting. Right. This is four years from now. Josh Gaddis, if he leads Michigan to a playoff berth this year, not saying that'll happen. If it does... That guy's getting a power five job, and he's going to be very attractive for a lot of teams 
down the road. He's already risen the ranks so quickly. Somebody that had a lot of success, even in the SEC on James Franklin's staff back at Vanderbilt. Like the dude has been rising very quickly in the coaching world. And I think he'd be just a name to like keep in the back of your mind as like we're sifting through some of these potential candidates here. All right. So if we're going to talk about hypotheticals of hypotheticals, I'll just say that the the only the first two are the only two that should be like like that people need to realize, I think, are the the um actual candidates. The very first two calls that are gonna go out from Greg Byrne to Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher. Guaranteed. I get that. I get why they would want yeah. him. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean I don't think Kirby but, would go, but Jimbo would be somebody that I, I don't think I mean, I don't know why he necessarily would, but people forget too that we, this is a whole different discussion, but Bama's not that great of a job. Like you don't have that much instinct talent. You have a lot of resources, sure. But you don't have that much instinct talent from a recruiting standpoint. You're in the toughest division in all of college football. You're competing against Kirby, who's building a monster and is from a more talented state. So, you know, and like you look at what what Jimbo has even at A&M, like there's so much money. Um, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think Pruitt and, and Cristobal are the, are, the, are the reasonable ones that would actually replace him. But the first two phone mm-hmm. calls that are going out are Kirby Smart and, and Jimbo Fisher. Oh, no doubt. No doubt whatsoever. I... Ultimately, though, like I don't see them as, as the guys who are going to, to take that job because the, the reason that you just mentioned with Jimbo is important is the resources in state. And yeah, I understand the Scott Woodward stuff with him leaving. You know, they're, they're basically going to let Jimbo Fisher hire an AD. I mean, yeah. that's kind of been the, the, the feeling is, oh, we need to make sure that our $75 million coach gets along with his next boss. That's pretty important because this whole guaranteed contract thing. Um, yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think those would be the two first calls, no doubt about it. You threw an interesting name in here, and I almost included it. I came really, really close. Chris Peterson from Washington. So he's a great coach and is so underrated and doesn't get enough credit for what he's able to do and what he's built at Boise State and all that kind of stuff. But one thing that is going to be absolutely essential at Bama and like to keep this thing going is he's a great coach. X's and O's, all that kind of stuff. He's a fantastic coach. Alabama is not going to build success, or their success is not built off of three-star recruits. Like you are gonna have be to issue. be an absolute like just like a fantastic recruiter. That's why Cristobal and Pruitt are, are the best, you know, people on, on the list. Yeah, Peterson's ties are on the West Coast. And that's not to say that he can't have success at Bama, but to get to the level that Bama has been recruiting at, yeah, I mean there would be there would be something there, there would be some questions there. And not to say that Bama would be like, Chris Peterson, you're not good enough for this job. I don't even know if Chris Peterson hey, well, would want to go to Bama. No, I'm kidding. I mean, he has great resources up there at Washington too. And if you can get you can get to the Rose Bowl, or if you can get to the playoff without having to deal with the gauntlet of the SEC, there's a lot of appeal to Agreed. that as well. And they're going to pay him good money, no doubt about it. Let's do fourth and wrong. Let's stop talking Let's about all of, of that. Talk. First off, a lot of hype. Um, okay, so fourth and wrong this week. We do this every week. Uh, four questions that you guys submitted, and um, we will go over them. It's questions or advice, whatever you want. I'm sorry, I'm still thrown off. I'm, I'm very thrown off by the saving thing. Regardless, Josh Gaddis, don't you ever do that again. First question here, Connor. Oh, it's projecting. It's projecting. It's looking three, four years down the road. That's what we're talking about here. Josh Gaddis is going to be rising in the coaching world. Trust me. Okay, so first question for fourth and wrong. Um, this is, I think, one of the better questions we've ever had submitted. So this is from Sean O'Brien on Instagram. He said, let's say you were going to jail. Been there, done that. Uh, and we're given two options. Sick brag, Sick brag bro. Um, you serve one year and leave. Or two, you're given a Rubik's Cube and can leave whenever it's finished. What do you do? I'm doing the Rubik's yeah, Cube. Right? Yeah, right? That's, that's, is that too obvious? No, I mean, like, um, I don't, those are really frustrating. I never spent more than like 10 minutes on one, but like, yeah, I feel like I could finish it in a year, right? Yeah, a year? 
Yeah. Gosh, I better be able to finish it in a year. In hindsight, maybe that wasn't as great of a question as I thought it was. Well, some somebody in prison knows how to do the Rubik's cube. You think so? I'm finding a way to cheat. If 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 I'm hitting six months, I'm finding a way to cheat. If I hit six weeks, I'm finding a way to cheat. Yeah. And ask somebody like, hey, give me give me the peel off the stickers. I don't, I don't trust myself finding some like eleven year old Asian kid that knows how to do it in prison, Connor. Um, second question. What this is pretty. It sounds weird, but this is good. What's your favorite Southern smell? Uh, honeysuckle, barbecue, magnolia, campfire, an old church, which I thought was the weirdest example he threw out there. That is from Desert Sun on Twitter. Old church. What does that mean? Old churches have a smell, apparently. apparently. All right. What's, so what's yeah. your favorite Southern smell? Tailgate. Ooh, that's a good answer. Everybody knows the tailgate smell. It's a very distinct smell. It's There is something, like, it gives me chills. Yeah. I, I, I remember saying that in Oxford, like, when we were at the Grove, I'm like, this is, oh my gosh, this smell. I need to get this in a can. Yeah, that, <laughs> you did say that out loud. It's so good. Love that. Um, this is going to make me sound really white trashy, but I'll say I'll say one, it's not white trash, cut grass, fresh cut grass, love it. Um, this is going to sound really weird, but it's because of, you know, like memories, black and milds and cigarettes. And that's, again, I know that sounds ridiculous, but the earliest memories I ever have going to, to SEC or to Bama games, stuff like that, I feel like every time I was ever waiting in line to go to the bathroom, there was just a bunch of just white trash people like in jean shorts and cutoffs that were smoking black and milds or like, like, you know, I don't know, parliaments or Marlboro Reds like that. So I would say I don't like that smell consistently, but when I'm around a stadium and I smell that, it, it like has a huge sense of nostalgia for me. Wow. Let the record show. Marla's and- favorite Southern smell, cigarettes. <laughs> Like shit, like like crappy, crappy, like 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 my grandma's white trash. She smoked like Virginia Slims, like stuff like that. Um, it's cut grass. I shouldn't have said the thing about cigarettes. What's your favorite? <laughs> Dang it, Chris. That's <laughs> Like anyway, um, she tasted like cigarettes. Who's your favorite person or account to follow on Twitter? Why the hell did I answer that, Connor? Oh, um, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was that's going to be tough to watch. Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Who's who's We're your favorite person that. slash account to follow on Twitter? That is from Sarthak Sharma on on Twitter. I don't have one one individual person. Um, I have like things for, you know, like as everybody follow, as everybody has on Twitter, they have their their groups. They have people that tweet about college football. They have t- people that tweet about like maybe the NBA, maybe people that tweet about like you know, local sports, like at your high school or something, like whatever it is, or people that tweet entertainment stuff. I don't think there's one specific person. I, I will say, and I'm not just, I'm not just saying this because we just had him on, but I feel like he is our type of dude. Matt Miller is a fantastic follow on Twitter. Like that guy's opinion, like he always, he puts his opinions out there. He owns up to them. Kind of we'll talk a little bit about some stuff, you know, we'll talk about some beer every once in a while or something like that. Or we'll talk about, you know, baseball right. stuff. I think Matt Miller is a really, really good follow. Um, Mine, I have I have two. Uh, one is one is from a rival podcast, but he's hilarious. His name is Ryan Nani. I think it's a celebrity hot tub. He's hilarious. Um, and the other one, if whatever you're doing, if you're driving, don't don't do it right now. But when you get home or whatever, go look up Karen Howell. I don't know her background story. I, everything she says is absolutely hilarious. Um, she's like by far my, my favorite, my favorite follow on Twitter. She's awesome. Um, there's uh, like three, three others that come to mind. PFT commenters. I mean, yeah, he's all he's time. <laughs> he, he might be, the, he might be the Twitter goat. Uh, Barcel big cat. Just, I mean, Chicago guy. That's pretty obvious too. And then one that I don't know how many people know this. I mean, I think people know this nationally. 
Fopolini. Yeah. I think I've talked about it a little bit before. Fopolini has, has been so good. I've been following him for like six years now. Basically, like I got into the state of Nebraska and people are like, you need to follow right. Fopolini on Twitter. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and last but yeah, not least, not from Dakota Carter, the person who thinks we landed on the moon. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, what's your favorite non-STS slash non-sports related podcast? Ooh, that's good. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll stay basic. I, I mean, I, I like the Serial podcast. Season two was, was trash, but like the Serial podcasts are, to me are really, really good. She just spent a year inside the Cleveland court system right. dissecting all these different things about it, like the juvie system, like what happens with, you know, prosecution lawyers and, and all this stuff. Really, really interesting. And season one of Serial is like all time yeah. edge of your seat, as good as it gets in terms of storytelling on a podcast. But yeah, that, that's probably my main non-sports go-to. And then like, I like listening to some of the, you know, when Bill Simmons has some of his like entertainment guests on, like he just had Trevor Noah on, um, some people like that. I guess that is, I mean, that is still sports because it's Bill Simmons. But like even that, I mean, he had like Bill Hader on a little while ago. He had Spike Lee on not too long ago. Um, I, I like interview, just listening to interviews like that I think are really, really well done. Uh, my favorite is, I have two. It's, it's um, True Crime and like the one about the East Area, I don't know if we're allowed to say this word, the East Area murderer is what we'll call him. Um, the Golden State Killer, I think that's who it was, uh, who just got caught last year. It's like, and he also did one about the Silk Road and it's, so look up True Crime. It's this guy who's like Australian who's a narrator and everything he says is gripping. And I told you about this, which we listened to on the entire ride down to Miami. This is a murder podcast. Um, and then he has one about the Silk Road, which is like how the dark web started. It's crazy. It's really, really good stuff. Um, and the other, we listened to this. This is going to lose me some street cred, but that's fine. We listened to this on the way home from Easter last week. It's Allie's favorite podcast, which is called Goop. Now, I would listen to every single episode, but this one, um, specific episode with Dax Shepard and Gwyneth Paltrow, who's the host, uh, like it was about how you feel, um, like it's like all about being healthy and all this other stuff, but it's about how you feel in life versus how you are made to feel online. And that's going to get us into our next segment here, Connor. Well, you, you meant to say Ali's second favorite podcast, right? Oh, yeah. We're the she first. to it every week. That's one. true. Okay. That's a very good point. Um, we're going to do a new segment real quick before we close it out here, and it's called Mean Tweets with Marler. And I was thinking about this was specifically from this podcast, and it was, if you heard the Kevin Hart clip from a couple weeks ago, when he's on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is also good. Um, <clears throat> people are so mad constantly online and overreact to everything. And I'm guilty of it. It's happened to me several times. But some of the comments and stuff we get on SDS, especially as the engagement editor that I read, are mind-blowing and funny. And so each week, I'm going to pick one out that's my favorite and we'll dissect it. Um, I think the greatest quote, by the way, from the Joe Rogan thing was, do you think Michael Jordan ever left a YouTube comment? That's a great question. <laughs> that is a didn't. great question. Like he winners don't usually do stuff like that on social media. So the just to kick it off, we will do some from different fans and stuff like that. By the way, this is not an invitation for you guys to be mean to us on Twitter. This week was none other than Danny Cannell, who said, All them picks and the ACC still whooped that ass in the title. Ought to be ashamed instead of tweeting out some meaningless number of draft picks. Wow. Would expect nothing less from that's fair. Team. Now, I, I had a lot of thoughts. I, I I wrote my response back to him about how we were just celebrating the achievements of those 64 players from 13 schools, all that. Somebody else also had an opinion on it, and he's here today. Oh, I'm excited. How you doing, Connor? I'm good, coach. How are you on vacation right now? Kind of been a while. I made it back from Cuba. Alive? Alive. Inside and out. Anyway, good. now, Uncle Chris told me y'all had a little problem 
people saying things, mean things on the internet. I saw what Daddy Canal said. I saw man love turtleneck. Who don't love a good turtleneck? I don't know. What I don't understand is, Danny, if you listening, who hurt you? Who hurt you? When did SEC do this to you? Now, one thing, I, I understand people are ornery, get upset about things, always yelling on the internet. One, one reason I ain't on Twitter. Regardless, I'm going to help you get through how I deal with angry people. I remember one time, kind of, I was in the Serengeti, and I was, I was wrestling this hippo. And he was all mad. I put him in the head like I said, why you so mad? Why you mad, hippo? Why you mad? I got O in my name. Hippo got an O in his name. Can't be mad at me. And, you know, he, he, he got some problems. Ain't my problems. So what I like to do, calm myself down. Count to three. And remind myself, I'm having a press conference. Wow, Coach, that was a lot. I don't feel like, feel like you solved uh, the problem. Um, not at all. But yeah, that's fair. I think I think the, the main takeaway here is um, maybe we shouldn't all be so angry online. Like, look at Coach O. Coach O's angry in real life uh, about things that matter. Gatorade baths, bad calls from, from refs, targeting penalties. Those are the things you should be mad about. Not what somebody said on Twitter or on Instagram just because you're upset. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. I've noticed that Coach O has picked up one of your tendencies to say, regardless... <laughs> Coach o, you and Coach O have been spending too much we time. We spent a lot of time. That's what this comes I, mean, I, I didn't know he wrestled a hippo, but it makes sense. I mean, I assumed he wrestled a hippo. Him saying that was confirmation that he wrestled a yeah. hippo. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, well, thanks for joining us, Coach O. Hopefully we'll have you back here soon. But yeah, mean tweets. We'll do this every we're gonna do this every week. And it won't be just Danny Canelo. It'll just be you know, the, the senseless and, and terrible things that people say. <laughs> like, for instance, last week somebody called me White Urkel. And we'll get into stuff like that. It'll be fun. That's actually not that bad for you. You've been called Connor, Most of the mean stuff that is said to me is said by you on the podcast, so it's fine. Yeah, that's fair. It might mean too much. We save this for the very end. Everybody already knows about this by now, but we have to talk about it. Your man, Nick Saban, hip surgery. Supposed to be down and out. Nuh-uh. He's not about that life. Because what did Saban do? He threw his walker away, and he came back to work at 7.15 the next day. That is how you become the GOAT. You throw away that walker, and you say, I don't want anything helping me. I don't want to take time off. I'm just going to get bored. Get this thing out of my life. You come back to work at 7.15, a little bit late for Saban standards. You eat that little Debbie, and you say, let's go find some recruits. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Josh Need, by the way, SEC Shorts, our good friend. Great, great spoof on that. Kind of, kind of said it all. Said about all I could say. Yeah, he was. Uh, I split up my um, coffee on queso, literally on the queso. I forgot. I forgot what it was. Oh, yeah, he was not happy. I texted him. I texted Josh, and I was like, "Thanks a lot, a hole." I was like, "You're welcome." <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It was really funny. It was good stuff. Fine bomb the day after Saban surgery was so good. It was peak fine bomb caller. Like I know a lot of people aren't necessarily fans of that. Like I, I don't really listen to the calls Ugh. that much, but like. Hearing people talk about Saban's search. Oh so my great. goodness. I mean, it, it was a funny quote. Yeah. I, so, you know, a little peel by the onion here. Um, we we posted like a, I posted the, the quote of it as a graphic on Instagram. And one of our new followers is Saban's daughter. And she commented, like, somebody was like, is this real? And tagged her. And she was like, I'm going to ask him. I'm not sure if, it, like, I was like, well, make sure it's real because I'm not taking down the hashtags that I had. And it definitely was real. It was definitely real. So, <laughs> wow. Very amazing. Though we are, our audience is growing by by the day. Uh, pretty soon, Saban will be reading us. <laughs> he probably did. He already reads. He probably already does. Let's be honest. We've got a ton of five star reviews to oh, get geez. to. A ton. 
of five-star reviews to get to. This first one is from Jeek. Subject, excellent knowledge of the game. These guys have an incredible knowledge of the game and great taste and humor. Thank you, Jeek. I don't have them pulled up yet. Keep going. Okay, so this next one is from HXJ. Okay, it's just gibberish. Um, subject, Saturday Down South. Best podcast by far for sports coverage of the SEC. My go-to during all sports seasons to cover not only my favorite team, but my favorite conference. You will not be disappointed. Thank you. Gibberish. This next one. Jackson Maddie, I think. Subject, great podcast. I can't believe how great this podcast is. Neither can I. I never thought I would subscribe or even listen to a podcast, but this Saturday Down South podcast really hits the spot. I would give this an easy five of five. Thank you, Jackson. That was nice. Uh, here, let's not read them all. Really nice. Let's see. Um, by the Real Kale, love the pod. I love getting my SC fix with y'all. Go dogs. Uh, this, <laughs> this podcast brings any college sports fan joy while also being fun and entertaining at the same time. It really shows how fans of the SEC have a passion and pride that is unmatched anywhere else. At Jackson Townsend, by the way, 10. Um, y'all y'all have the best quality podcast covering the SEC. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Jackson Absolutely. Townsend. Um, let's see what we got. Okay, this is from Mike L101819. Uh, original and funny. Love listening to these guys, despite their obsession with Texas Pete. Vasco <laughs> all the way. We'll, we'll bleep that part out. They give great insight with a funny edge to the greatest conference in sports. As a Louisiana native, but living out of the area due to the military. Oh, thank you for your service. These guys, despite suspect teams they root for, looking mostly at Chris, give me a little sense of Southern culture every week. Highly recommend. Thank you. Uh, oh, this is. Some, uh, let's, you want to make this from the last one? You know, we have we have more. Um, we'll save yeah, some for next week. Too. <laughs> let's not do it too uh, too many. I guess I guess. Uh, we have excellent mix of sports and comedy. Sent by Saban's hip. That's, I mean, I'm going to frame that first off. I look forward to the pod each week to help me get through the workday. Marlon and Connor copping each other amazingly. They mix sports, knowledge, and pop culture with comedy. Keep up the good work, boys. Nice. That's that's about like, Thank you. that's the best compliment I feel like anyone could have ever given us. For me. The whole thing about um, me being, what was that one person that said that I pronounced Clemson wrong? Clemson. I, I Clemson, Clemson with a P. Yeah. Um, that's that's the best compliment I can get is, yeah, you're a Yankee. We have Facebook Live Wednesday nope, Monday nights night. at Monday nights. Oh, I changed it to Wednesday, and then it's, okay, it's Monday. Um, you know that the Bachelorette is starting with Hannah B. from Bama. Roll Tide. Uh, that is starting very, very soon. But Facebook Live, Monday night still. Okay, 8.30. Make sure you are catching that every Monday night with Marler. He's going to entertain you. Queso is probably going to also entertain you and have a couple barks because that's just what Queso does. Follow us on Instagram for all comments from Nick Saban's daughter about her dad's hip. Um, follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at CMarler SDS at CJ O'Gara. Coach o, you already left, didn't you? No, I'm sitting here, Connor. Connor! Oh. It might mean too much. Talk to you next week.